Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me. We are doing a an examination of the entire story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And we are doing this in order to better understand each of the individual books. And we are examining the story of Scripture through the lens of the kingdom of God, which is God's people in God's place, under God's rule, experiencing God's blessing, and led by God's king. As you examine the Scriptures through the lens of the kingdom of God, we've stated that you can see eight distinct phases as the kingdom grows and develops and leads to its culmination in Jesus. This is the pattern of the kingdom in Genesis 1 and 2, the perished kingdom in Genesis 3 through 11, the promised kingdom in Genesis 12, the partial kingdom beginning in Genesis 12 and really and truly running through the end of the Old Testament, the prophesied kingdom that really begins alongside the reign of Solomon and the kings after him as God speaks to his people as they begin that downward spiral that's going to lead to their exile. Those are the five phases of the kingdom in the Old Testament. The sixth phase of the kingdom that we're going to be looking at today is where the star of the show finally arrives. And this is the present kingdom. And friends, the time has come. Now, a genealogy doesn't seem to be the most exciting way to start the New Testament. Matthew 1.1 says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And for most of us, when we hit that word genealogy, we fell asleep. But those specific names, David and Abraham, should be ringing some alarm bells for us. When we see the name Abraham, we should immediately think of Genesis 12, 2 through 3, where God says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When we see the name David, we should think about 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13, where God says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house from my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And friends, those promises that we have been just waiting for with bated breath throughout the entire Old Testament, the time of fulfillment has come. Jesus is here. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 1.20, where Paul writes, For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Every promise God made to his people is about to be answered and kept in his son, Jesus. The Gospel of Mark doesn't start with a genealogy. It starts with a quote from the prophets Isaiah and Malachi. As Mark combines Isaiah 40 and passages from Malachi, and he says this, As is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. And that's from Malachi. And then this is from Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And Mark says that John is that messenger. As the next verse goes on to say, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so Mark and all the gospel authors want to make it very clear. The waiting is over. The exile that ended politically in 538 is now ending spiritually, and the time of fulfillment is soon to come. And Jesus begins his public ministry by saying this, Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, the kingdom of God, one of the reasons it's such a great way to study all of Scripture is that the kingdom of God is one of Jesus' favorite topics. It's incredibly 
common for Jesus to be talking and teaching about what the kingdom is, how you get into the kingdom, and what life in the kingdom is like. And the kingdom of God sums up the hope of the prophets. Matthew 13, 16 through 17, Jesus says to his followers, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. One can hardly imagine how the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Elijah and Elisha, as they spoke and they wrote, you can just imagine their heart breaking and groaning. Oh, to see the coming of the king, to be a part of God's kingdom. Jesus is saying, you're getting to enjoy that. You are getting to see with your eyes and hear with your ears the dawning of a new age. This is the hope of God's kingdom. And the king is here to bring in the hope. Fulfillment has come. Every Old Testament promise is fulfilled in Christ and only in Christ. There is today on our maps, and we are grateful for this, there is a modern nation of Israel. But every Old Testament promise is kept in Jesus, not in the modern state of Israel, not in the hope of rebuilding the temple. Now you might say, well, what about that, that, that vision that Ezekiel had where there is a rebuilt temple? Shouldn't we you know, want to see a temple rebuilt? And the answer is no. And if you ask, well, why did God say to Ezekiel that there was going to be this rebuilt temple if he doesn't want us to actually rebuild the temple? Just imagine with me that there is a, a father and son living at the turn from the 19th to the 20th century. And the father promises a, his son a horse. But then by the time the son has turned 16, cars have been invented. Well, when the son turns 16 and his father gives him a car, he's not broken a promise. He's exceeded expectations. If the father spoke to the son before the son knew what cars were about, oh, I'm going to give you a car when you turn 16, he wouldn't have understood that. So the father speaks to the son in terms he can understand. He talks to him about horses, but he all along is intending to give him a car. And so God is speaking to his people in the Old Testament in terms they can understand. Kings, priests, prophets, temples, covenants, all of these things. But now that Christ has come, it would be foolish to try and look for something or someone else. There's no one else coming. As Peter said to Jesus, where else should we go? You have the words of life. And we would weep for the rebuilding of a temple in Jerusalem. We do not want to see Jewish men and women walk away from God and seek God in the sacrifices. You will not find him there. You will not find God anywhere but in Jesus. And so we would urge and plead and cry out for people to go to Jesus. That's where the promises of God are kept. Now, what we're going to do in the rest of our episode today is we are going to look at how Jesus keeps the promises about God's people and God's place. And then we'll have our next episode, Lord willing, and we'll see how Jesus keeps the promises regarding God's rule and blessing. And we'll look at some different images related to what Jesus does for us on the cross. But let's look first at this promise regarding God's people. Well, think about Adam and the nation of Israel. They are both blessed by God and tempted, and they both fail the test. But where Adam and Israel fail, Jesus succeeds. He is what the people of God were meant to be. Jesus is the true Adam. He is a real human being. He was born, he got hungry, he got tired, he got sick, he laughed, he smiled, he took a nap, maybe he snored, who knew? Who knows? He is a real human being and he is descended from Adam. He is the offspring of the woman that we have been waiting for. However, unlike Adam, Jesus did not sin. 
He did not sin. He is the only one who perfectly obeyed God. And he is the only one who does not deserve to be banished from God's presence. And yet on the cross, that's exactly what happens. On the cross, Jesus is banished in our place. And if we trust in Jesus, we enter into a new humanity. A humanity not headed by Adam, the sinner, but by Jesus, the righteous. This is what Paul is speaking to when he says in Romans 5, 19, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And I think that verse is so helpful because people can start to think about the idea that they're counted guilty because of the sin of Adam. And, and we, particularly as Westerners, we find that to be really unfair, that we would be you know, penalized for something that someone else did. And I understand that, that instinct. But I want you to think of it like this. If you don't want to be counted guilty because of Adam's sin, then you have no right, or it would be monstrously unfair and inconsistent for you to want to be counted as righteous because of Jesus's success. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, I I don't want to be condemned because of Adam. I want to be judged for my own deeds. And then say, but I do want the righteousness of Jesus. No, friends, because God thought it best and thought it right to condemn us as a whole human race together in Adam. It is right and just for him to count us righteous when we trust in Jesus. Jesus is the true Adam and Jesus is the true Israel. It's interesting when you sort of take the story of Israel and lay the story of Jesus on top of it and you see all these amazing connections and friends, they are not a coincidence. Like Israel, Jesus passed through the waters. For Israel, the waters were the Red Sea. For Jesus, the waters were the waters of baptism in the Jordan. Like Israel, Jesus was tempted in the desert. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. But unlike Israel, when Jesus is tempted, he doesn't give in. Jesus calls 12 disciples, mirroring the 12 tribes of Israel. And again, this is not a coincidence. Jesus is forming a new Israel. And so from this point forward, The new Israel are not those genetically descended from Abraham. The new Israel are those who have trusted in Jesus, who is the true Israelite. This is what Paul is speaking to in Romans 4.16 when he says, Salvation depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So friends, whether you are Nigerian, whether you are Thai, German, or American, if you have trusted in Jesus, you are a part of the family of Abraham. Abraham is your father. So this is how Jesus keeps God's promise regarding his people. But what about God's place? Well, as we read through the Old Testament, we can see this idea of tabernacle and temple and the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament. But the tabernacle and the temple were just shadows. Jesus is the true temple, the place where we can enter into God's presence. In Christ, God himself has drawn near to us. And Jesus is the true tabernacle. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, as you've probably been told before, what John did is he took the Greek noun tabernacle and he made it a verb. Right? So basically, it would say, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
He's the true tabernacle. He is the true temple. If you want to meet with God, you don't go to a building. You go to Jesus because he is the one from whom the rivers of living water flow. Now, I always tell my students when I say that, uh, go to church on Sunday. Don't weasel out of church and say, well, you know, like Andy said on the podcast, if you want to meet with God, you go to Jesus. You don't go to a building. Go to the building. Go to wherever God's people are and gather with them. And and the reason I I chose that idea of rivers of living water is because I think it does a great job of connecting two images in Scripture for us. We mentioned in our last episode how the prophet Ezekiel sees a vision of the rebuilt temple. The temple that Solomon built was destroyed in 586 by the Babylonians. And Ezekiel knows that. He is told the temple has been destroyed. And at the end of his ministry, he sees this rebuilt, bigger and better and more bright and shining than before, this beautiful temple. And in Ezekiel 47, as he's sort of touring the temple, it says this in Ezekiel 47, verse 1. Then he, the angel, his angelic tour guide, he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing from down below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. And as Ezekiel walks alongside the banks, this trickle becomes a stream, becomes a river, becomes this just mighty rushing torrent, and everywhere it goes, it brings life. By the time we get to verse 12 of Ezekiel 47, we read this. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. And so when Jesus is speaking in Jerusalem and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is raising a hand and saying, I'm the temple. I am the place that Ezekiel saw. I am the dwelling place of the glory of God. And it's out of me that you will experience the life-giving presence of God. So we want to experience that life-giving presence. Friends, we go to Jesus and we drink deeply. And then we go and tell others where they can experience the same life. It's so good. And we want to see everyone that we know experience it and be blessed and let the presence of God go out and wash away the sins of this world and bring his blessing back to us. So like we said, in our next episode, Lord willing, we're going to look at how Jesus keeps the promise of God's rule and blessing. And we're going to take a moment, an appropriate moment, I would say, to examine all the things that Jesus does for us on the cross by looking at several images that the Old and New Testament uses to describe our salvation. But for now, take up and read, my friends. God bless.